turn in our study tonight to the 16th chapter of the book of Revelation, the Apocalypsis, the revealed uh, purpose of God in the latter days. Uh, it's been a wonderful study thus far, and I hope that we are encouraged tonight through the things that we've learned from God's Word together. As you recall, last time we were together, we were talking about the seven angels, the the last uh, part of God's judgment upon the unbelieving and Christ-rejecting world. And we last time were able to go through six of the judgments uh, that are uh, poured out from vials or bowls in the hands of these anointed uh, angels that are uh, messengers of God's divine judgment against the world. We remember the first, uh, the first vial represented the boils and noisome and grievous sores that came upon men which had the mark of the beast in verse 2. And then the second angel uh, was used of God to pour his vial upon the sea and causing it to turn to blood. And then the third angel upon the rivers, that water which turned to blood and then uh, in verse 8, the fourth angel was used to scorch uh, uh, men with the heat of the sun. And, and like Malachi said in Malachi 4.1, that, that uh, the earth would burn as an oven. And then the fifth angel, verse 10, uh, the plague of darkness. All of these reminding us of God's judgments against ancient Egypt. <coughs> and then in verse 12, we talked about the sixth angel and, and how that during this period, um, there's the gathering of the armies of the world against God. The Euphrates, the great river Euphrates, being dried up supernaturally so that the uh, armies of the world will congregate in in a place that would become Armageddon and uh, to wage a final war against the Lamb and against his people. And uh, we, we stopped there in verse 14 uh, in reference to the, the great day of God Almighty. This, this is an expression that is unique in the scripture. Anytime you read the expression, the great day of God, or the great day of God Almighty, it's always talking about the same last final judgment upon the world. In verse 14, the, the, the unholy trinity is working uh, miracles in the earth and using those miracles to deceive the multitudes, the nations, as they gather around uh, Satan and worship him. Uh, in in uh, total rebellion against God, <clears throat> and now we begin with verse fifteen, which is the third of seven beatitudes in the book of Revelation. He says, "Behold," Jesus says, "Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame." We notice the expression, the thief, the thief in the night. Jesus would refer to that in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24, verse 43. 
that no man knows the coming of the Lord, and it will be as a thief in the night. In Luke chapter 12, verse 39, same thing. Jesus is teaching that his second coming is going to be unexpected. It's going to be like a thief in the night that is uh, unexpected and, and unanticipated and, and, and how it shocks uh, us to think about uh, a thief coming into our homes. This has happened to my wife and I twice since we've lived in uh, Memphis, and it's a scary feeling to, to walk in and see the door busted in or, or the windows broken out and, 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 and seeing things missing in, in your house. It makes you feel vulnerable and, and, and spooky, and, uh, <clears throat> and your wife immediately uh, uh, orders a, a, a lot of security cameras and things like that. Well, that's the, the picture that is being cast before us tonight. Jesus' is coming is going to be as a thief in the night, and that's exactly what Paul said in Second Thessalonians chapter 5, and Peter also in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. They refer to the coming of Christ as that which is not expected by the world, not anticipated, and it will convey or carry with it a great deal of shock uh, to the masses of humanity when it does happen. And he says, I want you to be blessed. He's speaking to the Christians that are alive at this time. He says, I want you to be blessed in the watching the watching, that, that Greek term gregoreo means literally to be vigilant, to be sober-minded, sober uh, to be anticipating the coming of the Lord. Our prayers each night ought to be, Lord Jesus, come, quickly come. Every morning we awaken, Lord, is this the day that you'll come and take your people home? Those, those are the attitudes that I believe are subscribed to through this particular beatitude. Blessed are the people that, that watch and that keep their garments. In other words, that maintain their identity as Christians, even in difficult times. Even when it's a, a difficult uh, occasion, when there's a lot of opposition. That's one reason I, I'm glad we mentioned the coach that whose trial is before our Supreme Court. You know, the, the idea, the idea that it would be somehow a violation of someone's privilege or right for a man to bow his knee and, and thank God for a, a game or thank God that his boys didn't get hurt. Not necessarily winning or losing, but just acknowledging that, God, you're the one. You're the one that gave us this opportunity. I know when we coached uh, our boys in, in baseball, uh, we always had prayer. We always had prayer. Not to win or lose, but Lord, uh, we're acknowledging that you gave us this opportunity. You're the one that gave us the strength and the skill to play this game. Those are the kind of things that need to be planted in the minds of young people. And to think that we're living in a time where that would be looked upon as a great crime. This is just uh, telling us what, what age we're living in. And I believe that opposition and persecution is going to increase. According to the testimony of God's word, the whole world is wandering after the beast. And the closer they get to the beast, the more animus they have against those that belong to God. You see, 
that 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 uh, uh, battle is ongoing. That spiritual warfare is ongoing. So he's speaking to the Christian uh, community that is uh, suffering during the, this period of time, and he's uh, commending them: keep your garments, uh, maintain your identity, lest he walk and uh, be naked and and they see his shame, unless he be ashamed at the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. Verse 16, And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. Armageddon. It's interesting to me that he would appeal to the Hebrew meaning of that word. Why why wouldn't he just use the, the Greek term in this place? I believe there's a reason. And the main reason is so that you and I who study the Bible would identify the specific area and the historical relevance of that place in history. Because as we go back to the language of Judges chapter 4, we read it was in that very place. We're not going to turn there, but in that very place where uh, uh, Balak um, won his great victory. Um, and in Judges chapter 7, it was there in that, very, in that very plain where Gideon and his 300 took on all of those innumerable enemies of Israel and, and, and realized that great, great victory. I believe that this is, this is significant to our study. It was in this place that Josiah, the last righteous king of Judah, would go out and, and meet the armies of Pharaoh. And remember, Josiah died in that battle. But that battle was a turning point, a turning point in history, the history of Judah as well as the history of Assyria. And it was in that place that God was working out his will. And that's why we want to underscore our study tonight with what we read in Isaiah 46, verse 10 where he says, there is no other God beside thee. There is none like thee, no other God beside thee, declaring from ancient times the things which are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. This is the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible has a plan and a purpose for every event in human history. I believe the, uh, I like what Mr. Spurgeon said about history. He said, history is his story. I believe that. History is God's story. God working out his will. And Armageddon and the battle of Armageddon that we're going to discuss in chapter 19 is uh, the stage is being set now for that great battle to occur. Now, verse 17, the seventh angel, the last angel, is going to be the messenger of God's divine judgment. And here he comes. The seventh angel poured out his vial into the air. Now, (coughs) this is a, a little bit different than the other six. The other six have poured their vials into the earth. But the last one is going to be poured into the air. I wonder if there's a reason for that. I believe there is. Because now that men and demons have been judged in the earth, now Satan himself 
is going to be the object of divine fury. Because remember what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 about Satan. He is the prince of the power of what? The air. He is the prince of the power of the air. And so this bowl, this judgment is going to be poured out into the air as a, as a stroke against Satan himself. And there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. Tetelestai. It is accomplished. It is fulfilled. It is finished. This is the final fulfillment of what God promised would occur in chapter 10 when he said he would bring about the final judgment of the earth and those that reject Christ. Now, it's interesting to me. It, it, uh, all through this chapter, it's interesting. There's a word that keeps repeating itself. Great. All the way through this chapter, you're, you're going to find it 14 times in this one chapter. And, and what he's talking about is not only great in intensity, but great in influence. What we're talking about are judgments that are not um, restricted to one geographical area of the earth or, or of the world. These, these are worldwide judgments. They're great judgments. And here the last judgment is, and it's described as great, a great voice out of heaven, out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, <coughs> it is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake, and notice, and so great, and so great. We just keep reading about that, because this earthquake shook the world from pole to pole, and it was all in, God, in harmony with God's holy will. And the great city was divided into three parts. Now somebody says, well, Brother Jeff, what in the world is that city? Uh, did you know tonight I could tell you that primarily the Bible is the tale of two cities? It's the tale of the city of Jerusalem and Babylon. And we're going to understand that a little bit better, I trust, but Notice this great city was divided into three parts. I believe that this great city is none other than Jerusalem. And I, I want to go to Zechariah to prove that very quickly. In Zechariah chapter 14, remember Zechariah is right at the end of the Old Testament uh, next to uh, Malachi. And, uh, and, and if you'll just uh, bear with me just a minute and I'll show you this great city. In Zechariah chapter 14, listen to what Zechariah the prophet is speaking about concerning the end times. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem. Notice, all nations, not just singular nations. All the nations of the earth are going to gather together against one city the city of Jerusalem, to battle. And the city uh, shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished. And half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight uh, 
against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley. And half of the mountain shall remove uh, toward the north and half of it toward the south. <coughs> what you're reading about is that great earthquake. And it's going to affect the mountains. It's going to affect the people. It's going to affect the great city itself of Jerusalem. So I believe that this great city is divided into three parts, is the city of Jerusalem. And the cities of the nations fell. Now here's another great. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God. Great Babylon came into remembrance before God. Babylon is the capital of the kingdom of the Antichrist the demise of which is described for us in the next two chapters. Babylon, that great city. We find historically how that uh, going back to the book of Genesis in Genesis chapter 10 and chapter 11, we read about the, uh, the table of the nations, right? We, we read about the descendants of Noah's three sons in, uh, in Genesis chapter 10 and and remember, Noah had a son named Ham, and Ham had a son named Cush, and Cush had a son named Nimrod. And Nimrod was a mighty man before the Lord. He was a king. He was actually the first king that's talked about in the scripture. And remember, his whole life and his whole um, human experience was to receive the praise of men. And in chapter 11 we find that they were building this great tower. Do you remember the story? The great tower that's a, a monument to the rebellion of man. Well, Nimrod was the king of Babylon. He was the king of that city. He was the hinge pin. And one of the interesting things I read one time uh, in an archaeological uh, magazine that I take, they, they have uh, in, 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 in Iraq, they have uh, located the ancient city of Babylon and one of the great stones that they dug up under the sands of, of Iraq had the name Nimrod imprinted in one corner. And uh, they identified him as Genesis chapter 10 Nimrod. And, uh, and, and to me that's intriguing. Now that didn't make me believe the Bible anymore. I'm not advocating that. But it just shows you that that people uh, are catching up to what the Bible teaches us about human history. Now, the thing that I want you to remember about that experience as recorded in Genesis chapter 11 is God was not pleased with what they were doing. He was not pleased because, number one, they were not going throughout all the earth and multiplying. That's what he commanded them to do. They were, uh, they were uh, coming together and staying together. Number two, they had the same language and the same law and the same king. And they had the same sense of purpose. And that purpose was to build this tower even up unto the heavens. And God said he didn't like that. And God came down and he confused their language. 
And the name of the place was called what? Babel. 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 And Babel, Babel, on the, shine of, uh, on the plains of Shinar became the city of ancient Babylon. Now, this, now I'm not just uh, trying to fill up space right here. I'm telling you that's the historical root of all false religion. All false religion can go right back to Genesis chapter 11. That's where it came from. That's why John would describe Babylon as the cage of every unclean bird. Whether it's Confuciusism, Hinduism, whether it is um, the religion of the Muslim, Ishtar, uh, all of those uh, pagan idols and pagan uh, symbols came out of Babylon. I think that's interesting. Now let's fast forward a few hundred years to the time of a man named Daniel. Daniel is one of the princes of Judah carried into ancient Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar. And during that period of time, God is uh, rebuking the children of uh, Judah. For a period of 70 years, they're going to be in that captive land. And many of them are going to stay there the rest of their lives. But at the end of the 70 years, there's going to be a remnant. A remnant that is going to uh, have the faith of Daniel. They're going to have the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're going to be identified with the true God of Israel. And they're not going to forfeit that. And they, under the direction of God, are going to return to the land of, of, of Judah and rebuild the temple and the city of Jerusalem. Now, I want you to remember something about Daniel very quickly. There's two chapters there that I want you to remember, chapter 2 and chapter 7 in the book of Daniel because in those two chapters, you have the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and um, he had this colossus and the head was of gold. And remember, Daniel was used by God to interpret that dream for Nebuchadnezzar. And he says to Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. Now that's significant because historians tell us that there never has been a more wealthy kingdom known to man. Everything in Babylon during the time of Nebuchadnezzar was gold. Everything. Uh, golden chariots. They've even found artifacts to bear this out. Everything can you imagine a, a, a shovel, uh, you, you know, in the royal, uh, in, in the royal stall was gold. I, I, you know, that's hard for me to imagine, you know. But everything about Babylon was gold. And then in Daniel chapter 7, there was a night vision that came to him in which he saw a lion with wings. And the lion with wings was stirred up by the winds of the great sea. And that's a Mediterranean. And Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar that you're, you're the lion. You're, you're the winged lion. And did you know? Uh, did you know that they found the gates of, of the palaces of ancient Babylon? And on each side of the gates, they have winged lions. Isn't that interesting? The reason I'm bringing this up is uh, the lion 
and the wings uh, typify the strength and the, the swiftness of the armies of Babylon. And the gold represents its wealth. Now, having said that, we're going to apply that to our study here tonight. That's why it's a great city. It's a great city in wealth. It's a great city in influence. It's a great city in military power, just like ancient Babylon was. And brothers and sisters, I'm not trying to scare anybody because to me it's comforting to think about. But um, what we're describing with, with Babylon in the end times is a world community that is governed by the Antichrist and he has charge over the military. He has charge over the government. He has charge over your taxes, your property, and everything in your life. He has that kind of power. And that's the kind of power that is going to come to an end. Hallelujah. Now watch this. And the great city, which is Jerusalem, was divided into three parts because of this powerful earthquake. And the cities of the nations fell. The, the major cities of the Gentile nations fell. And great Babylon came into remembrance before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Last time we titled our study, The Law of the Harvest. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also, what? Reap, that's right. Well, brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you, Adolf Hitler <coughs> and Joseph Stalin uh, and, and those kind of fellows uh, think they're, they got away with everything that they did, but there's a day coming when they're going to stand before the holy God of heaven and give account. He's going, they're, they're, he's going to have them in remembrance to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Now, do you remember? We talked a little bit about the wrath of God last time we were together. I, I realize that that's an uncomfortable subject for a lot of people. I've, I've talked to people in Lowe's about the wrath of God, and they said, boy, I don't, I don't see that in the Bible. I, 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 just, I, just, I believe that God is a God of love, and what you're saying is a God of judgment, a God of wrath, Nah, I, I, can't, I can't believe in that kind of a God. Well, if you don't believe in that kind of God, you don't believe in the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is not only a God of love, praise His name, I'm glad He is, but He's also a God of wrath. And that's righteous indignation against sin. That is settled uh, indignation against those that oppose God and His law. He has the right to do that. And here it is in technicolor. He, the wrath of God is being demonstrated not only through these judgments, but through the judgment that is yet to come. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. Now, I'm not so sure what that actually means, whether it be literal or figurative. But either way, I know it's going to happen. Uh, you know, it, it reminds me of what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 40 in verse 3. He said, in that day, the valley shall be exalted and the mountains shall be abased. 
it, it, it seems like it's describing um, a, a time when the earth's surface is not going to be as difficult to get across. We're not going to have to climb up mountains or go down into valleys. It, it seems like uh, uh, he's describing a particular uh, blessing upon the earth in that day. In verse 21, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a nugget right here. You're going to love this. (laughs) And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. Now, a talent in the Old Testament is 75 pounds. We we know that for sure. But I have read where a talent of silver in the New Testament was actually 125 pounds. So let's just say... A hailstone between 75 and 125 pounds falling from the sky. It's hard to imagine the destruction that something like that would cause. I believe it would go right through this roof. I really do. I believe it would just just about crush the floor in this church house if it fell through that roof. I mean, it's hard for us to even imagine that. But here's the nugget that I want to give you. In Leviticus chapter 24, verse 16, God's law said that everyone that blasphemes the name of the Lord shall be stoned. And what God is going to do in the last day, he's going to do the stoning himself. Hillstones, as it were. And the weight of a talent. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of hell and uh, for the plague thereof was exceedingly great. Here's that word again. Exceedingly great. Now, brothers and sisters, you know, just as a thinking student of the scripture, wouldn't you imagine that if hailstones this destructive in nature were to fall upon the sky, that it would somehow awaken the consciousness of men to say, oh, you know, there must be a God, and, and, and he's angry at us, and we, we, we need to repent, and we need to turn from our sinfulness to, to serve him. Now, you'd think that men would say something like that, but they're not. They continue to blaspheme God, speak against him, and, be, and, 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 the, and the hailstones actually make them more angry and more volatile. It's no wonder after you read about these impending judgments upon the earth, that the Antichrist would have any difficulty at all raising an army to fight against God. That's setting the stage for that great army of over 200 million. That great army that are are going to be destroyed in a moment by the word of Jesus Christ in in Revelation chapter 19. Now I want to close with one thought. I, I do want to go into chapter 17 here and show you something. And there came one of the seven angels, these seven angels that have already poured out their bowls of judgment, which had seven vials, and he talked with me, saying unto me, and he's talking to John, come hither, come come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. Here is the great harlot. Here is the world church. 
I'm telling you the truth. Here, here is, uh, here is uh, the uh, church or the assembly of the majority of human beings that are gathered in one place to worship, not God, but to worship Satan. Here they are, and God is going to impose his judgment upon them. Harlotry or prostitution are often symbols of idolatry or religious apostasy in the word of God. See, Babylon represents the final apostate world system. And in the next two chapters, what he's going to do is bring both under judgment. The religious identity uh, of Babylon is actually going to be overthrown by the Antichrist because the Antichrist is jealous of the worship that's going on in the Babylonian church. He wants that worship for himself. So he's going to help destroy religious Babylon so that he would establish his political and economic Babylon that is going to be destroyed in the next chapter. Now here's my last thought and I'm closing here. These are perilous times we're living in. There's no doubt about it. We're being invaded like we've never been invaded before. You know, they're even arresting terrorists coming across the southern border. Did you know that? They're, they're arresting dozens of terrorists. Uh, I'm talking about the ISIS people, um, uh, Taliban people, people that are here to call do one thing, and that's destroy this nation. The education system in our country has declined because they failed to acknowledge God. Uh, the judicial system, it's skewed. It's skewed toward evil. Not, not toward good, but toward evil. Many of our political leaders are admittedly corrupt. I'm not going to mention his name in this holy place. But one of our political leaders could not explain where $5.2 million ended up in his bank account. Can't explain it, they said. But that's okay, see. All of these things that are going on so much around us and the diseases and, and all of the things you're hearing about on a day-to-day -day basis, if you're not careful, they can cause you to fear. They, they can produce uh, darkness in your heart, a darkness in your home, darkness in your marriage, darkness in the church. But brothers and sisters, here's the good news. The Bible says when we see these things happening, lift up your heads for your redemption draws near. Hallelujah. Thank you. God bless you. Let's have a word of prayer together, brothers and sisters. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you again for the testimony of